0: Amen. If you could take your seat, come on in. Take all the time you want to talk at the end of the service. (laughs) Uh, I will say this up front, and so that way we get it over. You'll see that I'm using a uh, throat lozenger, and will continue to do so throughout the preaching time. Forgive me for doing that. I wouldn't normally but it's helping keeping my throat a little bit more lubricated. Let me ask you, how many of you have, could say that you have ever felt the presence of the Lord? Can I see your hands? You've ever felt the presence of God? Okay. How many of you wish you could feel His presence more? More regularly, more often, more deeply, more powerfully, more life-changing, is that right? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, We have been looking over these last weeks, uh, more back in August, but even last week. We looked at what were called means of grace, or another word that we used was spiritual disciplines. These are things that we do that don't help us get saved. It's because we're saved, it's because we already love God. There's something in us that wants to keep the life of Christ alive and vital inside of our own souls. And so there are disciplines that we have availed ourselves of over time. They they could be a lot of different things. Like reading your Bible is a spiritual discipline. How, How many of you know sometimes when you read your Bible, it can feel pretty dead and boring? Is that right? Come on, admit it. It's all right. You read the Bible and it's like, all right, this whole numbers thing, and it tells me how many people were at the gate and how tall it was. It's like, all right, I read it today. Good, I got my Bible reading in. But, I mean, aren't, isn't it true that there, although there are times when you open your Bible and it's kind of boring a little bit, there's other times you open it and it feels like the actual breath of God has come off the pages at you. And it's like, whoa, something just was transacted inside of my soul, right? Right? Well, in the same way, there's all kinds of disciplines. There, there's uh, Bible reading, there's fasting, there's prayer, there's giving, uh, fellowship, all of that stuff It's part of disciplines. Now, one of the things I want to make sure you get, this is really important, so please hear me. Disciplines, spiritual disciplines, are not an end in themselves. They never are. Spiritual disciplines are merely the ways in which we cultivate our own soul to help us become more aware of His grace in our lives. It's about awareness. So when you think spiritual disciplines, think awareness. That's what it's about. Even Jesus said, you should fast. But when the bridegroom shows up, you don't keep fasting for the bridegroom because the bridegroom is with you. So the disciplines were for a purpose to make us more aware of His presence. And when His presence come in, You don't keep worshiping fasting. You don't ever make the disciplines an end in themselves. Well, today what I want to do is very briefly, I want to talk to you about three other disciplines that were not referenced uh, in our previous message. And these three disciplines, I think, are kind of more simplistic in nature. And I say simplistic, and I probably should say simple. Uh, I'm not sure I'm smart enough to know the difference. I I think I do, but not sure. Um, But these three principles, for lack of a better term, I am calling three liturgies. Now, when I say the word liturgy, the truth is some of you are going to have an immediate visceral soul reaction. Red flags are going to go off. Alarms are sounding. And you're saying, wait a minute. I came out of that whole mindset of liturgy in my background. I don't want liturgy. Now I'm free in Christ. Now I'm a Pentecostal. And Pentecostals don't have liturgy, right? Mm, I'm not so sure about that. Um, Liturgy, by the way, David, where's David Neeson? He should be in here. You need to get David in. This is his definition. He's out taking a smoke, I think. Uh, This is a definition. So somebody help David remember this, all right? He asked me, what's a liturgy? And I said, you'll hear it in the sermon. Liturgy is defined as a form or formula according to which public religious worship, especially Christian worship, is conducted. Okay? There it is. That's the definition. Very simply, liturgy means the way in which you do things. It's what you do. So whether or not you have a program... Who has a program here? Can I... see. Whether or not you have the program today, this is a calendar and a program, whether or not you have the program here or not, whether it's written down like it might be in some traditions where they tell you, call to worship, they give you all all of the different points of your liturgy, whether it's written down or not, every church has some level of liturgy. Our church has liturgy. Another word for liturgy, by the way, might be tradition. The way in which you do things. So, our church has a liturgy, doesn't it? A way in which we do things. In fact, why don't you help me? What is our liturgy? Give me an order. In fact, raise your hand. What's our first thing that we do? What? No. What? I would suggest that our first liturgy, liturgy is you meet in the foyer and you talk together. Fellowship is important, isn't it? Getting to know one another friendship. What, what happens next? Huh? Yes, Jocelyn. Okay, you did too many at once. I said one. Okay, so the first thing is there's then a call to worship. Following your fellowship, there's a call to worship. There's a call to come in. You come in, you take your place, and then there is a prayer that is offered. What else? What comes next? Music, worship, singing, right. What else? Offering. Is offering not a part of our worship? Part of our liturgy? You, you have a transition time, a break, where announcements are giving, and then there is a giving of your finances. What's next? Uh, I'm sorry, I see the hand back there, Mr. Slater. A service, okay. Thank you very much, that's good. Did you say service or sermon? Service. He said service. She said sermon. I'm going to go with both. There is a sermon in the midst of the service. Okay? What's next? Yes. Drawing close to God. Okay. What's next? In our order of service, what's next? Communion once a month. Anything else? Closing prayer. Very good. So, we have a liturgy Whether or not it's written out or not, it's the way that we do things. And I want to suggest to you that though many people look at liturgy or tradition as something that is dead and boring, something we ought to avoid, the truth is liturgy or tradition can either be dead and boring or it can be life-giving depending upon how you approach it. It's really on you. It's not on anybody else but you. You can either receive life. I have been in a Catholic church where some people would say, oh, it's all dead. They, they don't even read the whole Bible. I had the priest tell me once that if you came to the Catholic church for every single mass for all of your life, you would have gone through one-third of the Bible because that's their reading. is set on a one-third scale. So you would have read one-third of the Bible, and people would say, well, it's dead. I have been in a Catholic church where I have met with God. I don't care where you go. You can meet with God. It's upon you. So these are ways that we can actually help ourselves to become more and more aware of His presence. Now, I said to you a couple of weeks ago, and I said it in a somewhat, um, not derisive, but it it was kidding enough that I wasn't comfortable with it. I said to you that in our service, when I was a kid growing up, which was a little bit more of a traditional church setting than this, it was a Baptist church, for which I give God great thanks that he put me in a Baptist church where we learned the word of God. We knew the word. And uh, in that service, there would come a point in time after we got done with greeting everybody and everybody's talking and stuff like that, where uh, a specific person, usually it was either uh, an elder or the pastor, would stand in the pulpit. And sometimes we actually had two pulpits, one you preached from and one you read the word from. But he would stand in the pulpit and he would say these words, God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. And immediately, our church just knew this. We didn't have to be told anymore. We knew that at that point, everybody stopped talking. You became quiet, you closed your eyes, and you waited. So there was a time of silence. And then, depending upon your church tradition, there were two men who had these long staffs. And on the staffs, they had like this lighted kind of candle thing which I always wondered why it didn't blow out, but it didn't blow out. So these guys had these two long staffs. And as we're all there quiet, let all the earth keep silent before him, they come walking down the aisle in step to the front communion table where there were candles set up and they would light the candles. And as they lit the candles, the guy who was up front, who had already said, let all the earth keep silent before him, would whisper almost. And he would say, come, Holy Spirit. It was their way of recognizing that all throughout the Bible, fire and light was a type of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then at that point in time, the leader would pray, and then we would begin our service, and we would sing songs. There was a call to worship, heart preparation, lighting of candles, opening prayer, then songs, then preaching, and then closing prayer. All of that went on. What I want you to catch, though, is that we did that every Sunday. Every Sunday. But on Monday morning, that didn't feel very real to me. On Tuesday morning, there was nobody lighting candles for me, and there was nobody saying, let all the earth keep silent before him. There was nothing of that. So for me, what happened on Sunday was completely separate from what I considered to be real life. And I want to suggest to you this morning, and the very reason why I'm talking about it at all, is I don't think those things should be separate at all. I think our liturgies are intended to be day by day life experiences encounters with God, and they can be if you purpose to be so in your own heart and life. So what I want you to talk about what I want to talk about this morning is uh, these liturgies, and I want to talk about three specific liturgical pieces that I think have some import for us, and I want you to kind of listen to them and think whether or not these can be applied in your daily life on Monday morning, tomorrow morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning, not just on Sunday when we have our own unspoken liturgy. So the first uh, liturgical piece I want to draw your attention to is what is called the invocation. This is the idea that in our services, uh, there is an invitation of the Holy Spirit to come upon us. There is the recognition that we can't do what we're supposed to do without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what this is about. That's why they had the candle lighting. It was an invitation, but it was even more than an invitation. It was a recognition that if you don't come, this might even be a good meeting. This might even be an encouraging service. But if God doesn't show up, that's the best it's going to get you've had an AA meeting where we all stand and we say, i got problems, you got problems. Hi, my name's Chris, I've got problems. That's all it is. But if God shows up, something happens. And that's what invocation is about. It's a call. Another word for invocation would be appeal. It's a passionate cry to God. God, would you not come near? Would you not help us? So that when... The worship team stands up front and they call you in and then they open in prayer. That's an invocation. That's saying, God, You own this place. You own our lives. You bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ. We're Yours. And if You don't come near to us, we're not going to make it. Jesus put it this way. No one can do anything except the Father says it and does it. Nothing. All things are impossible. Impossible. Not just unlikely. Impossible. Without God. He is the act of working. The power of God in your life is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when we do this, when we have an invocation on Sunday morning, instead of everybody keep talking, wouldn't it be something if everybody suddenly stopped what they were doing and said, "Uh uh-oh, it's time for us to get serious. We're inviting the God of all gods to inhabit this place, to come and to meet with us, to make us more aware of his presence. I know that God is always with us. I know that. I know theologically, I know it by experience. I have met him in Kazakhstan, I've met him in China, I've met him in Africa, I've met him in, you know, all over the world. I know God is everywhere. But I also know there have been times when we have been in service when we have been worshiping God, we have been praying, that suddenly something happened in the room. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had that happen where you're, you're in the midst of it? You're going after it just like you do every Sunday. Hands raised, you're excited, you're happy, and suddenly the atmosphere changes. I have been in a service. I've been sitting right about where Rustam is, back when we have the pews. How many of you guys remember those gold pews? Remember those? Yeah. Those were days. Did anybody take a pew when we got rid of them? Oh, you did, okay. Um, How many of you took the carpet? (laughs) Um, I can remember sitting right there. We were in the middle of a worship service, just like this morning. And in the midst of it, I mean, not expecting anything more than what we had any other time. In the midst of it, all of a sudden, I became so aware that God was in the room. And I honestly, I became scared to death. I was scared, because I'm thinking, if the God of all gods ever shows us his glory, we're going to be burned to a cinder. Forget anything with Indiana Jones. It's nothing like that. It's way beyond that. I'm talking about, I literally, I crawled under the pew to kind of hide a little bit, hoping God wouldn't kill me. It was that powerful. Now, I don't mean by that that God's mean. I just mean God's so big and powerful and strong. Sometimes it might happen by accident. It's kind of like the elephant sitting on you. God, do you realize I'm here? He's like, oh, yeah, I know. I can remember another time. We were up at Ralph and Cindy's house, and we were just praying. I can remember Sister Sylvia was there, and she hadn't done one bit of teaching yet. None. We were just there sitting quietly. We had sung a couple of songs. Ralph had played his guitar acoustically, and we had sung some songs. And suddenly, in the midst of their living room, God came. And they had a wood uh, stove uh, right there in the living room. And it had a little, kind of like an old, old, dirty shag carpet. I can remember picking up that shag carpet and covering my head with it, trying to hide again. Because the presence of God was so powerful. That's what invocation is about. It's saying, Holy Spirit, come. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. It's not just tradition. It's Holy Spirit, would you come? Because if you don't come, what's the point of us being here? I can get encouragement at the why. I can get encouragement at Bud's. I come because something happens of more import here. The presence of God comes among us. John Calvin, who was one of the, the most amazing reformers uh, back during the time of the Reformation, uh, great theologian, he would never stand and preach one word before he would quietly, under his breath, say, Come, Holy Spirit. I wonder what would happen if not just on Sunday morning when the worship team stood up front and gave an invocation. I wonder what would happen if on Monday morning when you wakened, when you opened your eyes, if the first thought on your mind was, come, Holy Spirit, come. I invite you. I need you. I want you. I long for you. What would happen in our daily lives if all throughout, in fact, here's my challenge to you. As a spiritual discipline. How about between now and the end of October? Take that whole month period. Because I think, what's today's date? Today's Thursday. Tomorrow's October, right? Okay, so take a month. And every single day, when your feet hit the floor in the morning, you simply say, maybe out loud if it's appropriate, or maybe you can't do it out loud because of your situation. I don't know. But you simply whisper to yourself, but really to God, Holy Spirit, come. I welcome you into my heart and life. And maybe you would even get into the habit of doing it throughout your day then. Because every one of you face things throughout your day. Struggles, challenges, things that are hard. And maybe instead of just trying to work harder and figure it out and say, I'm getting all frustrated and frazzled, maybe you just pause for a minute and you say, come, Holy Spirit. Be with us. I want to suggest to you that you actually adopt a liturgical piece called invocation. Not just for Sundays, but for Mondays through Sundays. That you make that a part of your daily time with God. And that's really what Jesus told us to do. He said, I'm going to go away. In fact, he said, interestingly, I mean, I, I, I would almost argue with him. I'd say, No, it's not. But he said, It's better for you that I go away. Thinking, Are you nuts, Jesus? I can't say that. I'm sorry. Take that back. Take that off the date. Jesus, I don't understand. How can it be better? You're it. All of time has been sewed up in you. In you we live and move and have our being. How could it be better? He says, because if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will be your comforter, your guide, your friend, your paraclete, your your inside me. Because it's His Holy Spirit. It's His Holy Spirit. So that when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you've got the presence of God, which is why Paul was able to say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So in the morning, you're saying, Holy Spirit, come. So yes, God's everywhere at all times, and you can go through your day just kind of casually. Or you can say, like Isaiah, God, I want you to rend the heavens and come down. I want you to rip apart that curtain that separates heaven and earth because that's all it is. It's a fine veil. You ripped the veil down at the time of the crucifixion. Do it again. Let me become more aware of your presence. The second liturgical item uh, is something that uh, our tradition Doesn't do very often, but I got to tell you, I find it personally very impactful for me. At a certain time in the service when I was a kid, um, at a certain time, uh, we would, uh, you know, we'd have our uh, fellowship time out in the foyer and even in the church, and then there'd be a call to prayer. Uh, there, There would be the invocation, and then we would usually sing some songs, just like we do here. And in that tradition, we would sing hymns. How many of you guys remember the hymns? How many of you still love the hymns? Woo-hoo-hoo, me too. Uh, good words, good theology in so much of those hymns that was rich and deep, and I loved it. And we would sing two hymns, maybe three at most on a Sunday. And for some reason, we always sang the first, second, and fourth stanza. Do you guys remember that? The guy would stand up front and say, okay, we're singing stanza of one, two, and four today. And I always thought, I wonder why number three never made the cut. I don't understand it. But there must have been some spiritual reason for it. So we would sing those songs. And then at that point in time, the leader, usually the pastor, would go back to the pulpit and he would call for some guys to come down the aisle, just like they do here. And they would line up and then they would take up these kind of brass plates. We didn't have bags back in those days. I think we thought bags were evil somehow, I'm pretty sure. We had brass plates that looked fancy and nice and expensive, but they were just, you know, coated. And they would pass them up and down the aisles, and we would all give our money, our tithes and our offerings, because that's what God says. God says, bring me your tithes and offerings and see if I will not bless you. And part of the reason why people don't know blessing in their lives is because they keep their money for themselves, thinking, I can't afford to give. Well, the truth is you can't afford not to give. But they would give money, and then these guys who would make their way from the front all the way to the back would get to the back. And I can remember as a kid, all the teenagers sat in the back row right over there where art is. And I can remember looking back at them and trying to figure out how they do it. But somehow, somehow, surreptitiously, they would take those four plates, and they would kind of combine them until they made two plates. And then two guys would come back down the aisle. I think they were always head ushers. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. I remember Harley was one of them. But anyways, they would come down the aisle carrying the plates, and magically, without any word being spoken, magically, the organist would begin to play a song. And the whole congregation would stand and sing without any kind of prompting. We just knew this is what we do. We stand and sing. Can you guess what the song was that we would sing? I'm sorry, what was it? The doxology. What what is the doxology again? Why don't you stand? Stand, would you? Stand up. Stand up. You can't sing well sitting down. You know that. You need more diaphragm power. The doxology would go something like this. Praise God from whom all blessings Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Very good. You may be seated. So we would sing every single Sunday. Twice on Sunday. We would sing the doxology and there is still something in me that rises up of worship every single time I hear it. I love the doxology. It's an invitation. Now, the word doxology actually comes from two Greek words. Doxa and logia. Doxa means glory. Glory. And logia means saying or word. So a doxology is a word of glory, a word of praise, a word giving glory to God, or the most literal translation you'll see in the dictionary is it is a liturgy of praise to God. That's what your doxology is. And I know that you think what we just sang was the doxology. It was a doxology. In fact, I challenge you to Google the word doxology. Go into the internet and you will find there are all kinds of different doxological traditions out there that you can avail yourself of and you might want to adopt different doxologies that you do throughout your days but doxology is a word of praise or glory to god it's giving thanks to god for what he has already done in your life that's what a doxology is Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's the first line. It's the recognition that God has blessed us with things large and things small, but we want to become more aware of all of His blessings. This is a recognition that every single one of us sitting in this room, every single one of you, looking you in the eye, including Jocelyn, every single one of us, I'm looking around the room, Yeah, every single one of us, have reason to give thanks to God. You do. You woke up this morning, didn't you? Do you know some people didn't? Some people are still asleep right now. Uh Uh-huh. Some people never woke up and never will again. But you did. That's a good reason to give thanks to God. Thank you, God, for the breath that I breathe. Thank you, God, for new life. I mean, every day you wake, that's an opportunity for new life flowing in you and through you. Every one of us have received blessings from God. You're here. You're alive. You're breathing. You have a body. Your body might be sick. How how many of you have had a struggle in this last week or two with some things with your body? It's okay. It's all right. Be honest. You have. Okay. Fine. But you're still here. You have reason to give thanks to God. You live and breathe and have your being. Doug Gillette used to say this uh, Greek Doug in the morning. He still does it. I shouldn't say he used to do it. He still does it. Whenever I greet him. I see him. So how are you doing today, Doug? Do you know what he would say to me? He says, I'm upright and taking nourishment. You think that's funny. I agree. But the reality is, I know somebody who can't eat food. Any of you guys know somebody like that? They cannot eat food. They have to have a feeding tube in their stomach. In fact, some of it bypass their stomach because of some other problems. They, they don't have the taste of food anymore. How many of you are grateful for the taste of food? Have I said that too early in the service? Okay. Just the fact that you are able, like Doug, to say, I'm upright, I'm alive, I'm awake, and I'm able to take nourishment is a blessing from God. James says, all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father above. Every blessing you have, that's what you're doing. You're giving thanks. And then it says, praise him, all creatures here below. It's the recognition, as Jesus said, that even creation itself, even the rocks themselves will cry out in praise to God. Think about it. How many of you have ever felt the presence of God out in creation? Yeah? Yeah? This spring, I was sitting out on our deck, uh, and we had a little family of foxes. It was a mother fox and three babies. And they would get out every single night right around just before dusk, and they would play right at that line where the weeds would get deeper, and they would come out into the grass, and they would play. And I mean, literally, they were like little kids wrestling and jumping on each other. It was fun to watch, and I would watch them. Well, over time, it was like as they got a little older, I think they got braver. Because then these little foxes began to go into the deeper weeds. And you would hear some yipping going on or some kind of sound. And then they would come running out. And it was like mom was calling them. But there was one time I was watching. I was sitting out in a chair. And I was watching them drinking, I think, my coffee. And these guys are out playing. And then all three of the babies ran into the weeds. And mom couldn't see them. And you could see her sitting up straight and looking. I mean, literally, this is no joke. I mean, this was like a mother looking. Where are they? And then right at the end, you can't see it from here, but if you looked out there, there is an old wooden picnic table just inside the weeds. This mother fox walked over, jumped up onto the seat, and then up onto the tabletop and sat there high until she could see her babies. And I thought, what an amazing thing that God made creation like that. And then the next thing, I felt God say, and I do the same for you. I never let you out of my sight. Even creation itself gives glory to God. All creatures here below. And by the way, all creatures here below includes you. You should be one of the ones giving praise to God. I know that it's not manly to sing anymore, apparently. I don't know where that came from. I think that's the the, the biggest lie. One of the big lies out there is that men shouldn't sing. The truth is men should sing. I know for some of you, you can't carry a tune in a bushel basket. I understand that. Come. Do something. Give praise to God. Use your voice. Say the words out loud. I had a friend in Watertown, uh, Mike was his name, and uh, it was a joke. His family, all of his friends knew. Mike could not carry a tune. He just couldn't sing. Couldn't. The pastor, and he was an assistant pastor, the pastor, the senior pastor, one day had some problems with the worship team. They had to make some changes, and he said, Mike, you're the worship leader. And Mike looked at him like he was nuts. He said, I can't. I can't sing. I can't carry a tune. I don't know how to sing. He said, I don't care. I felt like God told me you'd be the worship pastor. So Mike obeyed. And he, got, he said, I got to tell you, the first few weeks were just horrid. It was terrible. It was embarrassing. I, he said, I was my face was inflamed. Every day I would go home angry at the pastor for making me this big embarrassment in front of everybody. He said, but somehow by about the fourth or fifth week, something began to shift inside of me, and I didn't care anymore. I was there to worship God. And if you want to go along, you can go along. If not, you can sit there and be a dumb dodo. And he found that over time, he learned how to sing and to carry a tune and became the primary worship leader for a church of about 700. He was their worship leader. We can sing. We can worship God with it, all creatures here below. And then it says, Praise Him, ye heavenly hosts. Uh, I, I can't tell you, there's hardly a Sunday goes by that I'm not aware that while we're singing, there's other people singing with us. There are. While you were worshiping this morning, here in this room, there were other people singing with you. You couldn't hear them, perhaps, and you couldn't see them. But the scripture says around the throne of God are throngs of people who are worshiping God day and night. And in my mind, maybe this isn't true, I don't know. I have no scriptural basis for it. But in my mind, I imagine them hearing our singing and then these throngs of believers who have gone before us and gone home to glory already and angels that are innumerable all hear us singing and join in our song. Now, maybe they're singing a different song. I don't know. Or maybe we're singing one of their old songs that we think is so current and hit. Uh, Maybe we just picked up some of their discards and they've gone on to new songs. I don't know. But the scripture says, even the heavenly throngs are worshiping with you on a day-by-day basis. And then it says, the praise is commanded to be offered to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All are worthy of our praise. God is a giver, and it behooves us to give him a liturgy of praise and thanksgiving. My challenge for this one, just like with the previous invocation, is that you take the next month and find some reasons to thank God for his many blessings. Thank, thank God on a day-by-day basis. When you go throughout your day, maybe you don't have to wait until November and Thanksgiving time to do this. You could start it now. In fact, maybe it would be good to not have to have a special reason to do it. Maybe you could just begin to give thanks. Maybe start a thank journal. Or maybe you could do it online. But every day, find a reason, at least one reason to give thanks to God, to thank him for His blessings in your life. The Scripture says in Psalm 22, verse 3, God inhabits our praises, or He takes residence in our praises. The Japanese Bible translates that verse this way. It says, when you worship God, you build a chair that's big enough for God to sit in. It's like we decorate our house, and we want our house set up just so. You know, I've got my chair. How many of you have got your chair at your house? I've got my chair. It's now been abdicated. Uh, I've had to give it up because now the grandkids believe it's theirs. So that when they come, it's their chair now. And I am relegated to some other chair. But I used to have my chair. Well, what the Japanese Bible is saying is that when you worship, you create a chair that's just for God. When you give thanks for his many blessings, you create an environment where God comes and he lives. Wouldn't that be something if you would be more aware of his presence just because you spend more of your time giving thanks instead of complaining? The first thing out of your mouth when somebody goes, how are you doing today? Are you telling him all the problems or do you tell them the goodness of God? His kindness to you. So we've looked at two. We've looked at invocation, which is welcoming the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at doxology, which is giving thanks to God for his many blessings. One happened at the beginning of the service, the other one in the middle of the service. One welcomes his presence, and the other one thanks him for his presence. The third liturgical piece actually was one that I liked the best of all. As a kid growing up, it was my favorite time in the whole service. (coughs) Excuse me. It is when the pastor would go back to the pulpit, and he would stand up and say, would everybody rise? And do you know what would come then? The benediction. I didn't know what the term benediction meant. I was sure it meant, okay, it's time for everybody to go home and have lunch now. I was sure that's what benediction meant. But he would say, it's time for the benediction, and he would treat it as just a closing prayer. But the word benediction actually comes from two Latin words. beni, which means good, and we get words like benefit, something good for us, or beneficial. So bene, which means good, and diction, which means Word. So, benediction literally means a good word, and we use it as a good final word in our time of gathering together. So, this benediction isn't merely a closing prayer. It's a final good word, or a final good blessing that's placed upon us like a coat. And the reason I say that is, in the Old Testament, God said this, and you can go check it out yourself in Deuteronomy. <coughs> Excuse me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, God told the priest, this was like Aaron, the priest over the whole land, I want you to stand before the people and I want you to raise your hand and I want you to pronounce a benediction, a good word over them. And that benediction was this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore. And then God added this little line. You go check it out yourself. He said, when you do that, I'm going to place my name on them. God says, when you put that benediction on them, it's not just spoken over them, you put it on them. You declare it on them like a coat, like a jacket you put on. He said, that jacket is my name. You are mine. You belong to me. I put my good word on you. That's what benediction is about. So how does that apply today? Well, I don't know about you, but in this day and age, you can barely look at the news without hearing a lot of bad news. How many of you watched any of the hearings recently that were on TV? Any of you? I know there were hours and hours. Uh, I read the entire transcript yesterday just because I wanted not to hear the rhetoric going on and the facial expressions and all of that play acting. I wanted to just read it word for word, so I did. Went through the whole transcript. It's very, very long, from beginning to end. And I got to tell you, there was very little good word in there at all. Very little. I was honestly ashamed of the whole process. I really was. That's not because I'm judging anybody. I just think it's a sad day in our country. I really do. But my point is this. Don't you think that in an environment where there is so much bad news that it would help people if somebody actually gave them some good news? A good word? That's what benediction means, a good word. Don't you think it would help people, encourage people, actually lift them up a little bit if you would give people good words instead of telling them all the stuff that's wrong and bad? It doesn't take somebody really, really smart to know what's wrong. It doesn't even take somebody really, really smart to tell you why it's wrong. It does take somebody who is godly kind and gracious to be able to know that even in the midst of it, God is still in control. God still has a good word that he has spoken. Wouldn't it be something if in the midst of people's days where all they're done is being bombarded with bad news, if you actually came on the scene and you declared a benediction over them. You spoke to them about a hope and a future. So, what I want to suggest to you in these three liturgical pieces is that we invoke the presence of God, We invite the Holy Spirit to come in and do it. We look for opportunities to give thanks to God for His many blessings, large and small. And then we, first of all, have to have a good word in our own soul, something that is good from the Lord that we then feel free to share with others, a benediction over them. I think that would be a better way to live life than just surviving just getting by and hoping that you'll make enough money this week to pay the bills. Instead, we live life with a purpose. That's what this is about. Invocation, we invite God. We give a doxology, and we give a good word. Paul did it this way. If you read Paul's letters, almost every single letter, whether to people or to churches, ends with a benediction. Listen to just a couple of them. Second Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That's, that's his benediction to the Corinthians. He declared that over them. To the Ephesians, he said this, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And then to the Thessalonians. He said, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of all with my own hands, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I wonder if there might be some benefit even in a Pentecostal church, if in the service, even when we end our service, rather than just stand up and say, okay, everybody can go eat now, we actually declared benediction over one another. And we wear that as part of who we are, who we're made to be by God. Instead of rushing out, figuring, okay, If we don't get to the restaurant soon, the Baptists are going to beat us, or the Methodists, or the Presbyterians, or whomever, the heathens. Instead, we just say it's far more important that we give a good word to somebody, a word of encouragement. So, it's that time in our service. Would you all stand? I want to thank you for coming and being here. Sincerely, I am. I am grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that we have a place full of friends. I was communicating with a pastor friend last night who's in a very, very tough place. Another church I'm aware of as well that we've been asked to go and speak into. And every time something in me rises up, grateful for you. Grateful for you and your love for God and your love for one another. And that you're not out there stirring up trouble and unhappy. I mean, there's enough stuff to be unhappy with me about. I can, if you don't know it, I can tell you. But instead, you come here and you listen politely. You hear, I hope, that in my words, you hear something of the word of the Lord as well. That's what Paul said. Paul says, when I declare it to you, you heard the word of God. That's a choice that you make, by the way. You can either hear it as my words, or you can hear it as his word. So what I would like to do is I would like to pronounce a benediction over you. So would you close your eyes? And if you're able, if this is beyond you, you can't do this, I just ask you to lift your hands in a kind of a, a, a format that's more like receiving, like somebody's going to put a gift in your hands, if you would. I know for some of you it's odd and you're not used to it. That's okay. Don't, don't feel like you have to do it. But people around you are doing it. It's okay. Just lift your hands. And I want to pronounce a benediction over you. This is the shortest in the simplest benediction that Paul gave, but I think it's one of his most powerful. So receive this coat of benediction spoken over you today. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Go your way in peace.